Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the show. I cannot even believe how good this episode is. I'm so excited to share this with you. In fact, it was so good, we had to partway through, we decided, you know what? We're going to end it early and do a multi-part series because we had already talked almost 40 minutes or so, and I was like, there's just way too much still to get to. And uh, my guest today was super willing to do that. He said, let's let's get back on another call or two. So this may end up being a two-part, a three-part. I don't know. He is welcome on any time. My guest today is John Beasley. And John is what we call an apologist, which is basically somebody who makes arguments for or defends something kind of controversial, in this case, biblical truth. And so we start off with a very basic question, but an important one of like, why do you believe there is a God? How is how is there how is it possible that there is a God, and, and what does that look like? And so, we were gonna go from how do you know there's a God to Jesus and all this other stuff, and we we couldn't even get there in time because there was just so much really great content. Uh, so, really excited to share this episode with you. So, buckle up and just put on your thinking cap a little bit if you're driving. Try to focus uh, on the road and a little bit on this. Um, but as best you can, kind of stay tuned and pay attention, because this is going to be an episode filled with a lot of information. We jump around a little bit, and that's because I thought we were going to only have this one shot at it, but he was so kind and gracious, he said, I'm happy to come back. So we'll get him on again to to kind of help us walk through this even more. So if you have friends, family members that maybe don't believe in God, or they don't believe in the God of the Bible or Jesus, this is an episode that'll help you understand how to talk to them about those things. And so we're going to walk through that together, starting in this episode. So stay tuned. But first, a word from our sponsor. Today's sponsor is Ashka Adventures, and let me tell you, Ashka Adventures is a, a series of children's books that were written by Deb Glenn, who's an author and a keynote speaker, and she's also a part of our church, and the books are amazing, but what's really exciting is that now she's written a feature-length animated film, and it is really close to going to production, and I cannot wait for this to happen. This is going to be a great family-friendly movie that I'm going to want all of you to see, so we're going to start pushing it right now. And here's the description. Join uh, uh, join Ashka, the littlest sled dog, and her friends as they embark on an epic adventure through the wilds of Alaska's backcountry. Two diverse teams of sled dogs come together for a common good with purpose-driven passion, persistence, wit, and humor to save the day in a race against time. Their challenging journey takes them over the Talkeetna Mountains, across breathtaking spires, through dazzling shards of glacier ice, down iceberg-laden rapids, and fighting through binding blizzards to near-treacherous drop-offs. Get ready for an animated adventure like no other, where the wolf, the wind, and the wild come to test even the mightiest of sled dogs. The scenery is magical, the suspense will have you holding your breath, the comedy and frivolity will make your jaws hurt. Learn more at ashkaadventures.com. Welcome to the show. I'm Matt McMorris, and I believe that the Bible is what we need to help us live, think, and love like Jesus. As a pastor, I find that people are way too busy sometimes and might actually need some help understanding what the Bible teaches about a multitude of different topics. So join me as I interview pastors, theologians, and students of Scripture as we seek to know what the Bible says, what it means, and why it matters. If you want to know Jesus and His Word better, but realize that once on Sunday just isn't cutting it, then subscribe to the show, because this is Grace Beyond Sunday. So John, I I know you would claim to be a Christian, uh, which is great. I claim the same thing. Um, But a lot of people say that, and a lot of people mean different things when they say that. So for the sake of just making sure everybody knows where, kind of where we're starting from in this conversation— what what are some of the foundational things that you believe when you say you're a Christian? What do you mean when you say that? And just kind of give me a 30,000-foot view of that. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, well, I think it's great to begin with kind of the the, the, the big meta narrative of scripture and how it, it portrays the Christian faith. And, um, you know, at the heart of this story is obviously mankind was created by God and in his image. And um, something happened subsequently to that resurrect or uh, to that creation story where mankind fell into sin and it fractured that relationship. And we see that the brokenness of that relationship pretty much in every relationship, fracturing everything in our world. Um, and so yeah. a Christian worldview views, hey, the reason why the world is the way that it is and all of its brokenness is because of a ultimately a broken relationship with God. But God did not abandon his creation. He loved his creation and he sent Jesus to die on the cross. And through his, through his death, burial and resurrection, he's actually carrying out his redemptive plan, which ultimately is a recreation. There was a creation, there was a fall, and this redemption is going to culminate not only with a new humanity, but also a new heaven and a new earth. He's going to yeah. restore what has been broken. And so I, I really view everything through this creation, fall, redemption. That would be a Christian perspective. Now, yeah. what we'll get into, I'm sure, is how do you know that's the right worldview or the right perspective? But that's yeah. at a 30,000-foot glance. Well, and, and that's kind of what I was going to start off with when you e even even when you read from Scripture, like Scripture agrees with the statement I'm about to make in Matthew chapter seven that broad is the way that leads to destruction and narrow is is the path to truth and 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 few there be um, that enter in. So like the the amount of people that actually come to know Christ, the the Jesus of the Bible that you that you worship, um, few people actually agree with you. In the grand scheme of the historical narrative, most people disagree with this concept of God the Father sends his son to die on a cross to save us from our sins. Now, I agree with you, just to be clear at the outset of this, uh, I'm going to kind of play the opposing argument to try to help understand where you're coming from so that you can, yeah. you can try to help sure. us with this. But, but most people disagree with you. So I guess the most basic question I would start with is, how do you know? And I know we can go into a lot of more nuance, but how do you know? Yeah, and that's a, that's a phenomenal question. And um, when it comes to the subject, this, I'm going I'm to use a big word here for a moment, but it's the subject of epistemology. This is like how, how do we know anything, right? Yep. Um, when we, we come at obtaining or acquiring knowledge, it's important for us to be careful about using terms of certainty about anything. Like if I asked you, Matt, like, you know, how certain are you that you're in your church? Well, you have pretty good evidence around you that you're recording. I think you said you're recording in your church, right? Is that yep, the space yep. we record? Okay, great. Um, yeah. You have some good evidence to it. But if I, if I just said, well, how do you know that you know? How do you know that you're not in, you know, people could use the whole like matrix concept, right? How do you know that this well, is just a, the matrix? Multi-thousand-year-old argument of you know, is this all a dream? You know, this has been discussed exactly. and debated for centuries. And so um, when we talk about knowing things, we're talking about um, we're, we're building, we're compiling the evidence to what is the most reasonable, pro uh, probable explanation for things. Yeah. And so when we talk about knowing that Christianity is true, 
well, surely you could just keep asking the question over, well, do you, how do you know that you know that you know that it's true? And um, a part of living in this life in the way that God has set up things is that we are to live by faith. And so there is an element, if we're living by faith, there's an element to where um, there's a mystery to where I, I'm not going to be able to provide the, you know, this is the definitive proof for the existence of God. However, sure. what I think you could see is, is that you can see evidence being built up, almost like a cumulative case that's being built, that when you put all of those pieces together, the evident, evidence, in my estimation, greatly yeah. outweighs the evidence that there is no God. But the way that you argue for this, first, um, and this is cl what you would call classic apologetics, you usually first argue for just theism. How do I know there's a God as opposed to being no God? Right. And then you have to go from theism to Christian theism. And um, so like for instance, if I, if I brought to you like the, a classic um, cosmological argument. So I'm, I'm sure you're maybe familiar with it, that terminology. But just for those who are listening, cosmological argument deals with like the first cause of the universe. So everything that we see – the physical world, um, all of those things are contingent, meaning yeah. there's a cause to them, right? Um, so everything that begins to exist has a cause. I, Pretty John, much – I was listening to a guy the other day though. It, it, he actually and, – and I've not really heard too many people use this argument. I, I think I, I know what my answer is, but I'm curious what you would say. He actually said if you use that argument that – all that exists had to have a cause, then you'd also have to back it up and say that God himself had to have a cause, and that cause had to have a cause, and it's just this perpetual need of a cause. Yeah, yeah, that's a very good point, and that's actually used by like guys like Richard Dawkins, Hitchens. Yep. Some yeah. of the, the um, new atheists um, has propounded that type of argumentation. The problem with that is that we're actually dealing with the physical world. So God would be metaphysical, not yeah. physical in that. So we're notice the precise language here. Everything that begins to exist yeah. has a cause. By yeah. definition, especially when you're dealing with um, you know, the Christian or the like Judeo-Christian God, you're talking about someone that pre-existed time. Matter of fact, let me just give you the full cosmological argument. And um, there are other arguments. This isn't the only one, but this is one of the best, I think, to grasp. There are other arguments for God that are really complex. <laughs> Actually, it can make you go, wait, what are we saying? Because they're really yeah. difficult. But this one is pretty – I think a pretty easy one. But the way it goes out is, number one, everything that begins to exist has a cause. Then the second premise in the syllogism is the universe began to exist – Therefore, the universe must have a cause. Now, um, that doesn't quite get you at, okay, something caused the universe, but why do we conclude that it was God, you right. know, a God figure? And um, so basically, if you break down the components of uh, the universe, like including time, space, matter, you know, most yep. components would be kind of broken down into those um, sections, categories – so whatever caused the universe must be um, not those physical entities. So it, right. instead of being right. time-bound, it would be eternal. Instead of it being um, 
in space would be spaceless. Instead of it being material, it would be non-material. And there are other people that talk about uh, – make an argument that it would have to be personal, non-personal. I do think um, there's some wiggle room on pushing back against these ideas. But basically when you kind of add this up, there was a cause that was eternal, spaceless, non-material, and personal. Yeah. You begin to say, okay, what what kind of a entity does that describe? You know, and the best explanation. I'm not saying it's the only explanation, but sure. the best explanation to put in that spot would be God Himself. Um, because there would be some that would be non-Christian or at least non-Jesus believers that would argue the case for some form of intelligent design. What right? They would claim it as God or not, or the God of the Bible at least. Yeah, so like the Kalam cosmological argument actually was started by somebody that was of the Islamic faith. So yeah. that's um, – so they made an argument for God. Now, we would actually agree with the argumentation for just theism, but yeah. now we would argue differently with them when it comes down to who is this God? How has he revealed himself or has he revealed himself? Because sure. you could have – um, like a deist believes that there was a God who created the world but walked away from it, you know, right. not engaging with it anymore. So, but a, but a theist in particularly Christian theism, we obviously believe that God is very involved in our world. So, right. and there's different argumentations for as we get into those layers. But that's um, yeah, a basic I was reading, cosmological. Not long ago, I was reading a book by um, Dr. John Frame. I forget the name of the book off the top of my head, but it, it's a bazillion pages thick. And I've, I, it really just was so impactful to me as I was reading this because he talks about not only, not only must there be logically a God, some, mm. some being out there, but, but, but he's, he, he was using the word transcendence, that there's, there's this being that transcends all of – you know just like you talked about time, space, and matter. He transcends all of those things. But then he also uses the word eminence, and he says not only is he – not and he was talking about it more in the in the concept of truth and that not only is he the absolute source of truth but he's also knowable so it's not just logically he concludes there is this being that supersedes all of this stuff that is outside is not bound by any of this because mm. that's believable but then he, yes. what would make him want to be intimately connected to us and that's that imminence that fact that Christ Came, you know, it, it, I was teaching my church recently. Even the idea of Emmanuel, God with it, like He came to mm. be with us, um, yeah. which is significant because just because there is something that created doesn't necessarily mean He is knowable. But in our case, we believe that He is. Yeah, and it's interesting in the philosophical conversation. Um, like Aristotle, you know, he's the one that kind of suggested the idea of there being an unmoved mover, yeah, um, or yeah. an uncreated. This uncreated person or thing that created the cosmos, and in the uh, with Plato, Aristotle, they would often use the term logos yep. to describe this entity. Now, logos in that particular time um, in the Greek literature, they would they would talk about logos as being an impersonal force. Yep. In, and in Jewish literature, they would use that. Hey, God actually created the the worlds with his word and um they would use a derivative of that uh, or not a derivative but a, a similar term in hebrew i shouldn't say deliver, sure. deriv derivative because hebrew came first but um but they would use a term that would say that yes the world was brought into existence by the word of god 
But when John wrote his gospel, um, he said, hey, it wasn't just the words of God as an extension of God, but rather right. Jesus is this logos. Yeah. He is the one who's created it. And the way that John frames it is that he's actually stepping into um, this long discussion, this philosophical discussion of what is the origin of everything. Well, in the beginning was the word, the logos, Yeah, which I find interesting. I don't know if you follow Jordan Peterson very much, but a little bit, he's yeah. um, definitely jumped on. He's a psychologist that's, um, you know, followed by millions of people, but he's been captivated by this idea of logos and it's captivated a lot of people's thoughts. Um, but yes, I mean, even this is not just a you know a Christian thing. It wasn't. Yeah. It's just not like a bunch of Christians saying, "Hey, we believe that the obviously the Bible says in the beginning God created heaven and the earth." So we're going to make up this argument. No, Christians actually have come to these philosophers that have already been talking about this type of yep. argument. They're like, well, it, "This I, moves I back to an unmoved that. mover." Yeah, and I love that you brought it up because it, there's. I think sometimes we disconnect philosophy from theology. And they they so often just like with science, science and the Bible actually prove each other. You know, accurate science and, and biblical truth prove each other. And good philosophy and theology are interesting to bring together. I used to kind of be like I knew Aristotle, Plato, Socrates, all of, all of this stuff. I knew kind of about them, but they seemed almost mythical. Um, but then when you actually realize a, a human timeline, like they existed, and so like I'm studying and teaching through the book of Colossians right now in my church. And when Paul's writing to the church at Colossae, he's addressing some of the thoughts that, that had been passed down from generations from men like this. Like, it's, it's the continuing conversation, right? It's, it, we're bringing theology to bear on some of these questions that have been asked for thousands of years. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, I think it was... Um trying to think i think it was in the night yeah the 1949 somewhere around there when the term uh big bang began to be popular talking about the origin of the universe I right think it was fred howell that that made that coined the term big bang and um then um but it's interesting when they 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 track after re realizing that hey the the universe is just expanding there's this expansion of the universe and they begin to study that that everything came from what they call the singularity, this initial singularity, the edge of space-time itself. Yeah. And um, what's interesting is they can trace the physical world all the way back to the singularity, but they can't they can't go past it. You know, it's like they can't quite get over. So everything, yeah. all the the tools that science gives, can only help us test the physical world. And so when they come back to this moment, the singularity, it's just kind of like. It, you know, it's a mystery. Something this this came out of nothing. And so, what we're saying as Christians is that actually, what science is moving us towards is the single act of creation. Now, can we prove that? Not proof in the sense of a science experiment proof, because right. remember, science can't go past this this point. But what is the best? What is the best explanation? Because everything in our universe has a cause to it, you know? We can look at something and we don't just say, oh, that just kind of happened. So why then is the best explanation? Hey, everything actually has a cause, but and there was, you know, a direct cause for that 
particular thing. Why do we go back to the beginning saying, oh, but that just happened because there was nothing? It just doesn't seem to follow logically, right? right. Um, logically, what makes the best sense is that there was some type of um, creator. Now, yeah. again, there's other explanations. And what would be kind of a fun topic too, there's also you know multiverse theories and um, things of that nature that can be fun to get into. And, and what's interesting with those you, that you bring that up, like I've I, when I started the church that I'm at now, I was working full time at a factory, and I I had some some really good friends with good conversations that did not believe like me. They were they were not believers, and there was one girl in particular who we had fascinating conversations about. And, and so, like when you say there's ideas like that, I think some, especially people that have grown up in Christianity, might think, oh, okay, maybe there's a few crazy people out there, but those are like there's a a lot of people that really believe these kind of things these multiverse things i mean i've heard that from more than one person in my little town working at a factory putting together dehumidifiers where they're talking about this stuff with knowledge and and an education on it um so i I, it's fascinating to me what we what we kind of go through and i think as christians we, we can't just discredit other people's beliefs and just say well that's just crazy because i we have to learn how to actually kind of refute those things otherwise their arguments can, at some level, be almost just as legitimate as ours. The the one thing that I that I always push back on people though is that that first cause because when I've talked to people like, well, the Big Bang, okay, where did the stuff come from? Well, particles, where do those come from? From here, from, and then I've literally had people say this, and I don't mock them when I say it on on a podcast like this because I'd love for them to listen to this conversation. I don't want them to feel like they're being mocked, but I've literally had people say, well, maybe it came from aliens. Okay, cool, I, I'll give you that. Where do they come from? You know, so at some point, it just there has to be something that that caused. Yeah, sure. And another thing, I just uh, for our audience say too that when we're when we're reading the scriptures, like for instance, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Um, like the the whole cosmology of like ancient Israel was not anything close to what we know when it comes to how the universe works and yeah. just and, and and what we can tend to do is we can read back our cosmology and what we know about the universe back into their minds. Yeah. And um we can make the scriptures say almost more than what they're intending to say. Sure. Um and um like the Bible is not saying in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth that hey this universe that began to exist we can't argue from the Hebrew that, oh, hey, this is where everything in the whole world, the whole universe says all of it together. This is yeah. when it began. It, it's actually quite possible reading that when it says in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It could have been talking about the just the universe as we know it. But there, it, it doesn't necessarily rule out a multiverse um, idea is what sure. I'm trying to say. Um, there's a. There's and actually, um, we could probably get into this at another time too. But um, and I am definitely no scholar on it on this particular topic. But I there are a lot of Christians and Christian um, philosophers and scientists that have made good arguments that still follow a cosmological argument, like everything begins to exist as a cause, um, but with a multiverse um, view in mind yeah. too. So you don't have to kind of go, oh, uh, the only Christian view is this, you know initial singularity that exploded everything you know 
there could be because you do have even right now scientists proves there there are galaxies that you know fold into a black hole and then explode into you know another type of galaxy you know type of thing so could that have happened uh with our universe could there be in a universe that actually exploded our universe into thing but it would still trace back to what was the origin of all of those things you know what i mean we would just trace the argument back um and and there's other like there's some arguments people say well the universe has always existed and there's that kind of gets you into some absurdities when you think yeah. about argumentations and is it possible maybe but not really probable what right. and if again you going back to what makes the most sense of the data right that actually the universe did begin at this initial singularity and actually the science right now lines up with that initial singularity. These other hypotheses are not quite mainstream. And that doesn't mean that we as Christians shift with the mainstream. But I do think that we should always, um, when we hear science or whatever it is, history, science, we should always say, hey, let me re-examine to make sure that I understand this appropriately. It's not that we're adjusting to the ebb and flow of what popular culture says is true. Yeah, but we also... As Christians, we just chase the truth down. We're not afraid of the truth. We believe that natural, uh, the natural world is going to line up with God's revelation because he is the originator of both. He is the creator. He's also the originator of divine revelation, right? Sure. So we seek to line these up. And it's interesting. Um, this brings me to Thomas Aquinas. Are you familiar with his work? He said uh, in his day – People said, and this is when the scientific revolution began to take place and and start to pick up some steam. The church would say, well, there's science truth and there's religious truth. Let's not worry about reconciling. Yeah. And Thomas Aquinas, uh, he said, no, 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 no. These are both from God. So we should seek to reconcile them. If, If there's a contradiction, you either have bad science or you have bad religion. Yeah. Meaning that, hey, we're actually not understanding this appropriately, so we need to go back to the drawing board. And I, I do appreciate that particular perspective. But um, yeah. anyways, I've, I've kind of chased that rabbit. That was fun. Thank oh, you. Oh, I love that. <laughs> well, and I love that. But so because I think sometimes we get – as Christians, we can get really dogmatic on – it has to be this. And I think sometimes we maybe we grew up – those maybe that grew up in a Christian school kind of have their – this is what I learned in my Christian school about creation. Those that grew up in a public school kind of have heard both. And, and then there's – there is – and at some level, I think we have to look at it and go, some of this we may not have all of the answers on, but it doesn't affect our faith. It doesn't affect the, the source of truth and the source of beginning. But, but let me ask you this. If, if we go to this – this concept that there is a cause, there's there's a first cause, and that first cause is not bound by time, space, and matter. That he's he's outside of all that. He or she or it, and I I mean that in in a sense. Okay, like, oh, you got me there. There's something that created it. You still have a long ways to go before you're a sinner going to hell, and Jesus <laughs> is the child of a virgin woman because of this God you claim started this whole earth and I have to give my life by faith to him like that's that's a leap so at least on the outset so walk me through some of that yeah so 
just to um to back up and make sure for people who are listening in. So what we've been talking about so far is what's called natural theology. So cosmological argument is natural theology, which means we're, we're taking the creation and we're building a view of God. Not necessarily the Christian God yet, but just God. Right. We're saying, hey, we believe that God is the best explanation for the creation. And then you can go from a cosmological argument to like a teleological argument, like the word teleological comes from the Greek word telos, yep. which is the end or purpose. We begin to look at the intricacies of creation, so not just everything that began to exist has a cause, but all these things actually have an intricate order to them. And there seems to be a designer behind these particular things. Like, mm -hmm. And um, this order... Um, is pretty consistent. So this is what some uh, philosophers call the fine-tuning of the universe. Okay, So it's not just everything begins to exist as a cause. Now all of these things that exist has a particular way they relate to each other, and this is why we can have natural laws. Yeah. And um, so that looking into those natural laws is going to begin to pack on more evidence. Again, it doesn't bring us to you know, like this definitive proof, but we're sure. like, wow, here's the, the universe has a cause, there's order, there's design, and embedded within all of us seems to be, and this kind of moves us to the axiological argument, which is the moral argument. We all have a sense of purpose ourselves, a sense of meaning. We crave this particular meaning, and um, we cannot live apart from moral uh moral intuition, and also further moral obligation. And so now we're getting into um, the, the essence of our own being, our own ontology, who we yeah. are. Yeah. And um, we think about these, uh, just how everyone, it, atheist, Christian, theist, whatever, we all believe in um, that there's good and that there's evil. Um, Why? Now, when we try to—that's that, just it, innate within us. Yes, and so as a, from a Christ, what makes the what's the best explanation for the, the sense that we have? We're, we're these creatures that have moral intuitions, and if you get on Twitter, you find a lot of people who have these uh, these strong sense of moral obligation. You know, yeah. Like today, we live in in, in a culture that really cries out, "This is just," or "This is unjust." Right. This is good this is evil how could you say that that is a very evil practice but if you if you really you know pan out and ask well what's your definition of good and evil yeah. like what's your how do you ground what is justice you know and if you if you come from ev evolutionary perspective um there is no ground for morality there's yeah. nothing that grounds it Morality would be only um, a product of, they would say, of our evolutionary development. It's like a social construct. Social, exactly. But first, our, you know, being able to have the cognitive ability yeah. to, um, you know, going back to just communication and forming thought and forming opinions. And this is all going through an evolutionary process. But then it's a social construct. But, um, but this means that they would have to come to the conclusion that what is moral and right now will not be moral and right years down the road or well, centuries 
heads because so like me... for instance like aristotle aristotle believed that um that not every person was created equal yeah like he would look at a slave and say he's obviously not created equal people who have a higher capacity for changing society and they're the big movers well they have more uh value well if you think about it from an evolutionary standpoint he's got a point sure right it's like they bring more value therefore they should you know they they actually possess a greater value so it's actually christian thought that has laid the basis for secular thought today yeah so a secular impulse for justice for equality that actually began with a christian underpinning now obviously we wouldn't agree with all the rhetoric around their articulation sure. of justice but the very sense and desire for it 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 really came from from christianity well, and I want to I want to keep so going anyways, I'm, a minute because yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying to track us to the no, no, and that's good. So here's I'm, what I'm going to do. I'm, we didn't talk about this before, John, but um, can I can I just ask? Can this be part one? And we'll keep talking about this, and we'll do a part two later, and we'll get more into the Jesus of the Bible. Let's let's stay kind of on God and morality, and let's kind of build this case a little bit, and then we'll jump back on another call, and we'll continue that story because I don't want to rush through this because I think this is important. I think. Understanding because this is a big a big issue I have. I've been working through a lot of stuff with my with my own church, trying to understand this concept of truth. Um, Paul talks about it a lot in Colossians, not being not being swayed by false ideas and and empty deceits and whatnot. And and what was happening in the church of Colossae, which is what we've been working through verse by verse, um, is that there were a lot of these Gnostic and and these extra these extra biblical philosophical ideas that were coming into the church, and he's warning them how to kind of stay away from it being rooted and built up and established in your faith and, and some of those things. And so and and all all of that's great. But but there's this there's this sense in everybody that I talk to, whether a believer or not, and I can't get a, a good answer from people, why can't I do whatever I want? Because if you even take secular philosophy, if you take if you take Freud, for example, and he says the greatest pleasure for man is, is sexual pleasure, and so the pursuit of that is going to bring you the most fulfillment. But, but even that leads down a path that th it's the survival of the fittest. If, if I want to be with this person, then I get to dominate them, and, and it, it always leads down a, a path that doesn't actually make logical sense in the end. Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I, I struggle with that because so, I think as as Christians we can look at it and say okay we we believe this by truth but not but take Christianity off the table for a minute that we live in a world you're you're a hundred percent right we live in a world that that is all about you know in a postmodern world th this concept of truth is my truth versus your truth and as long as my truth is is not part of some hegemonic power and, and, and suppressing your truth or oppressing your truth then we can each have our own truth and all this stuff like. Where does this come from, and how do we flesh this out and work through it? Because everybody seems to have a different opinion on it. So your question being, um, if I can rephrase it, is like <laughs> – Because that was terrible phrased, we... I admit. No, 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 you're fine. You're fine. But um, So you're just trying to get down to the fact of how do we, how do we get at what truth is? Well, sort of. What I want to do is we believe that there's this eternally existent thing that created all of us. And so now we're, we're jumping into inside everybody is this sense of right and wrong. And I want to dive into that a little bit. What, what would a secularist say this sense of right and wrong comes from? Why aren't they 
why why are like what's the logical argument for why that can't be true? Because okay, yes, I want to convince them that Christianity is true, but I think sometimes in order to do that, I've also got to convince them that there's holes in their own argument. Exactly. So that's, that brings us up to a really great train of thought. Um, if I can digress just a little bit. Please, yeah. And, and I'm going to tie this into the idea of apologetics as well. So what we've been occupying ourselves with is um, we've been trying to get at like almost philosophical arguments for God. Yeah. But um, if, um, if you look at – if you trace Christianity and apologetics and them getting at trying to kind of win – a culture to Jesus. So Jesus being that truth, Jesus right. says, I am, you know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. Um, but if you see um, the church, when they begin to spread the gospel through the first century, um, there were different isms in that era that confronted Christian truth. For instance, like Gnosticism presented a worldview um, that would present that actually Jesus could not have come and become a human because all of the material world is evil, the spiritual world is good, and it was posing a threat to um, the gospel, but also how the gospel plays itself out. Because right. a Gnostic said, "Hey, you can be, you can live in uh, sexual immorality as long as your spirit's fine, because you know the body is going to be sinful, but your spirit can be right." They were creating this dichotomy. And the Christians were coming in saying, no, that does not bring human flourishing. I'm using kind of current terminology here. Sure. Um, sure. But they would preach the gospel, and then they would articulate it carefully depending on the isms. So there was Gnosticism. They were also, if you look at Acts chapter 2, Paul was preaching the gospel in a Jewish context. So he, lot, yep. he used a lot of the Hebrew Bible um, to make his argument, to make his case. And Acts 2, the Pentecost sermon – was actually an apologetic. They says, hey, these men are drunk at the third hour of the day. And Peter's like, actually, that's not the best explanation for what's happening. The yeah. best explanation is this is a fulfillment of Joel chapter 2. And then he goes and points to Jesus through this whole sermon. Well, that's what Christians do in every type of era. We're trying to point to Jesus as the best explanation yep. um, for, for that data. So they did it with um, – in in confrontation to um, Gnosticism and Judaism, when you get to um, more of them, like the mid uh, medieval era, you had um, the rise of Islam. So John Damascus formed the first Christian apologetic against um, that particular teaching. And so they were obviously teaching an opposing idea of the God of the universe, you know, and yep. the whole, how to view everything. And so there was a, there was an articulation towards that. And you also had um, getting into the um, beginning of the modern era. You had um, just the modern era was the rise of science and rationalism. Um, and they begin to create a dichotomy between religion and um, uh, religion and rationalism and science. Right. And uh, and I told her, and I am going somewhere with this by the way. No, I get, I get um, it. So what so there was a new type of ism. So the church began at first there was this like as I said a Thomas Aquinas um addressed the church saying, "Well, we got religious truth and you got science truth, we won't reconcile." But he began to 
make a case, and if you study um, Thomas Aquinas, he's kind of the pioneer for arguments, these five arguments for the existence of God. So he had, he had a cosmological argument. He had a moral type argument. He was laying these out, um, and they were really philosophical in nature, trying to prove just the existence of God and him being the basis of all things. Yeah. But it, as you move from modern era to now a postmodern era, um, the isms have fundamentally shifted. Mm -hmm. So in the modern era, they said religion can no longer answer how we find meaning and purpose in the universe. Yeah. So we need to use science and reason to find the meta narrative. So we're no longer to use the Bible or religion or any of that. We're going to shift to science and reason. Mm -hmm. But what's happened in the modern era is they realized, hey, we've developed a lot in science and reason, and we're just as confused as ever. Matter of fact, um, guys like Jonathan Hyatt, who's a um, social psychologist, he says that post-modernity and its I ideology of there is no absolute truth is absolutely destroying the fabric of society. I would and agree. he's not a Christian. Yeah. Matter of fact, he's a non-Christian, but he says that if if we didn't have religion – then our whole society would crumble. Even um, Karl Marx had held to a view similar to that, where he didn't agree with religion, but if it weren't for religion, everything falls apart. Yeah, so he saw the utility of it, right? Yeah. And so um, Jonathan Hyatt makes this, um, makes this case, and um, he wrote a book called The Hap Happiness Hypothesis, and he even makes the argument like people that were actually in church, in a community – even though they didn't have all the markings of like you know this hedonistic life, ended up being more happy than someone who had access to all the type of things that you would put in that box, like you know maybe a nice career, you know, um, you know, being in good physical shape, having a lot of money, all this type of things, but yet yeah. still being very unhappy and sometimes even um, pushing towards being more suicidal because you've obtained something, but now you realize it didn't give me what I thought it would give me, right? You know type of thing. So um, post-modernity, um, the, the big shift between modernism and post-modernism, um, they still have science and reason at one of their bases, but they've given up pursuit of a grand meta-narrative. Yeah. So they actually, all through, all through history, all isms, all, all the way up to the uh, post-modern era, um, Everyone believed that there was a grand purpose behind the cosmos. Yep. Modernity rejected like theism and said there's got to be something else. Right. Postmodern says there really isn't any ultimate meaning. There is no ultimate purpose. A matter of fact, the universe is expanding at a rate, and you know, in about a million or so years, we're all going to burn up anyway. So don't try to find meaning. Rather, create it. Yeah. And actually, you can see that in how we talk about identity today. Yes. Because when we talk about identity, we're saying, hey, like you can project onto yourself your own meanings for everything. Right. Even down to what gender do you want to be? You yep. can decide. Um, and see so what that's doing is just it's, – it's just decaying every type of fundamental that we have for human flourishing. Yeah. So this is where I would say that the ideal is to present for us is to actually instead of 
Classic apologetics would be answering people's questions. Well, here's the thing. They're not asking those questions. Right. They don't care. They don't care anymore. So, so before at, uh, answering people's questions, we have to begin with questioning people's answers. Yeah. So we start with – now that sounds a little pushy, but what I mean is, hey, tell me about yourself. Like what makes you, what makes you tick? How do you find meaning and purpose? How do you find satisfaction? How do you ground your belief for justice? See what I mean? Yep. And when you get into those deeper level questions, people are going to realize I don't have much of a foundation for my own intuitions. Yeah. I have a moral intuition. I have a, a sense of wanting satisfaction. As a matter of fact, I, I use this sometimes. I was like, why do you think all the movies that we actually like or TV shows that we like, we want it to end good? Now, Beth and I were watching a show where like – for several shows, it kept – the plot kept thickening and it kept getting worse. Yeah. You know? And I, we, we were sitting there like, man, I hope this ends good. You know? And that's kind yeah. of just the intuition for all of us. We have this intuition of we want it to end at the good, that yeah. happy, you know, happy ever after type scenario. For a naturalist, they um, – all movies, all happy endings is, is not reality. It's just a fake – it's actually escapism. Right. We're escaping reality. We're not thinking more deeply about reality. We're escaping it. Yeah. But for a Christian, those happy endings actually just line up with what we believe the whole world is moving towards. Yeah. The new heaven and new earth. The whole – every story arc that we like is this creation fall redemption happening over and over and over again. And – um why are we so bent on seeing the same story over and over and over again? It's because God's telling the story, and we have an inner craving for it. Yeah. Now, you say, how do you prove that? I can't just prove that with one thing. But what we do is we build a case by saying, hey, look at the cosmological argument. Yep. Look at these natural theology arguments, which lead us now into more of who we are as human beings – and how right. do we actually function and flourish as a society? And this is where we're starting it closer and closer and closer to the gospel, yeah. actually being the only answer that will save us from oppression in either, in either way. There's oppression that comes through self-righteous people. Yep. So when people say, well, uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens said this. He said that religion poisons society. Well, in a sense, he's right. Um, there is a lot of religion that poisons society. Yep. Um, but we could also make the argument that a naturalistic worldview that removes all of truth yeah. is also a poison to society. Well, so you have religion it's super in irreligion or non-religion. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that when you present the gospel, because it's all of grace – it doesn't make you an oppressive religious person that's manipulating people through right. some religious practices, um, nor does it lead you into hedonistic lifestyle that says life is all about me. Yeah. I think um, I was reading so, um, yeah. or listening to a speech he gave, but I think it was Charles Taylor that was talking about what he calls the psychology of self. And when you kind of follow that rabbit trail and, and a lot of the philosophers in the kind of the postmodern era talk about this, it's this idea of – since there isn't significance beyond this, 
what is it that I can do that makes me the most happy? And the reality that's so devastatingly sad is that when I become whatever gender I feel like being or when I give myself to whatever sexual pleasure I feel like giving myself to or when I whatever, whatever that involves, those are kind of the big ones in, in society today. When I give myself to those things, it, there may be a certain sense of immediate satisfaction, but it's, but it's so empty. It's just leaving people hopeless because there's – I think you're right. There's this eternal something that we're all headed to as Christians. We believe in new heaven and new earth. But without that, it is just living for the immediate, which ultimately leaves everybody empty and, and, and wanting for more. Mm. Well, John, I, mm. I hate to do this because I'm enjoying it, um, but we're at about 44 minutes right now. And uh, it's a great conversation. But if you're willing, I'd like to schedule another time to kind of pick up from here and continue our conversation because I I did not think it was going to be – I knew it was going to be great. I didn't think it was going to be this great. Um, and so if you're willing, I'd love to jump back on with you in the not-too-distant future and continue this conversation because I have to get to another meeting in a little bit. Um, so I don't want to do a hard stop, and I don't think anybody wants to listen to it. I'm not Joe Rogan, you know, so a four-hour podcast probably <laughs> isn't going to be super popular. But uh, maybe we can split it up into. You just got to look a little bit more mean. Lean into the mic a little bit. I know. Why Shave do you say a little bit? You know, he does. You know, this kind of. <laughs> yeah, we I'm should just, invite I mean, Joe I'm Rogan to the same. That's right. Yeah, you know, what? I would type. love to have a guy like Joe Rogan on a conversation like this because, and I don't watch him a ton, but I I think he's at least fair at listening to your viewpoint, and and he'll challenge it, and he'll he he's not he doesn't appear from what I've seen to be rude about it. Um, and so hey, Joe, if you're listening. Which I doubt. <laughs> We'd love to yeah. have you on. Um, if anybody yeah, has a connection I, I to Joe. Jordan Peterson, too. I wanted to talk to him because he's so close to Christianity. Um, his theology is a little crazy, obviously. But yeah. um, I'd love to talk to him. He's a brilliant guy. I but, think um, yeah, I'm going to be at a conference that he's speaking at in a few months. Oh, no way. I'm, ho oh, so I'm, I'm hoping totally to at least get an opportunity to meet him. Yeah. He's, then he's a brilliant mind. And he's... Oh yeah, fascinating to listen to. I, I sometimes I'm just like, oh, you're so close. <laughs> yeah. But. Well, I want to just say to your audience real quick. I like apologizing if this seems a little bit like we're jumping around. It's maybe not quite as like you know sequential, but hopefully there's some nuggets of things that will just help you kind of think more deeply about yeah. um, laying out the the Christian faith. And the thing that I I really come back to. Is that a Christian? As a Christian, you don't have to be a philosopher or this great historian. Um, you really need to know the faith really well. So the, the scriptures, the faith, the articulation of the gospel, and be able to ask people questions because they're yeah. only a few questions away from seeing that their worldview doesn't really work. Yeah. And then you present the counter narrative of the gospel, and you just show like, hey, this is what what God has done in my life. Do you have absolute proof? Not definitive, absolute proof. Sure. You know, I'm, there's a faith element here, but look at how much it brings a sense of human flourishing and establishment. And um, I'll get into it next time. But I think if you can, you can learn to do that. Yeah. You can then begin to build out these other other arguments for God that can help beef it up. But you start right. with that. Yeah. The essential. So and the, up there. The jumping around is my fault. I kind of got excited about different things you were saying, and I kept taking you off course. So. Apologize. Oh for yeah, that. it's fun it's though. Fun it's good. It's a conversation. Yeah. All right, man. Hey, I appreciate you being on. We'll get you on here uh, shortly for part All two. Right. All right. Thanks.